Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 157 of X-Lapsed, where it's, uh, well, it's the seven-month anniversary of this humble program here. Uh, September 1st of 2020 was the first episode, and here we are in April 2021. So, seven months. Uh, that and a dollar will get me a cup of coffee at McDonald's. If, uh, if McDonald's is still doing dollar coffee, I couldn't tell you, but, uh, it's also April Fool's Day, which, uh, you know, I had I had this really fun plan in mind to do a sort of a, I don't know, a silly little episode for today's program. But uh, as I will not shut up about, I'm in the middle of a move and all my stuff is scattered to the uh, to the corners of this town. So I was unable to locate the subject of the April Fool's episode. So uh, I hope an issue of X-Men will do because uh, I kind of feel like uh, they're pulling an April Fool's on us here with this issue. It's, uh, believe it or not, more Shi'ar stuff. They just can't help themselves. Now, let's hop into it. This is X-Men Volume 5, Number 17, March 2021 cover date. Empty Nest is the name of the book, written by Jonathan Hickman with pencils by Brett Booth. That's an interesting name. Hmm. Don't usually see him on Marvel all that much. Uh, inks, Adelso Corona. Colors, Sonny Go. Des- uh, letters, VCs Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Bisa White-Sabolsky. Cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale January 27th of 2021. Now, before we get into the issue here, let's chat about this cover for just a second. Is when I got this in my shipment, uh, I'm guessing it was probably the second week of February I would have gotten it. Um, I saw it and I was pretty annoyed because I assumed that DCBS had accidentally slipped me a variant cover. Now, you guys know me. For the most part, I'm not a fan of variants. I would much rather own, like, the legit cover of each issue, which I suppose is becoming less and less of a thing. What with DC implementing cover A and cover B in a sad attempt to fleece the uh, completionists over on their side of the country. Anyway, in seeing just how plain and generic this cover was, and if you're not, you know, holding it right in front of you now, and you're, if you're not following along with the books, it's just Storm with speed lines and some curvy lightning bolts. It's by Lionel Yu. Very, very generic. Very, very generic. I mean... If this was a trading card, you'd look at it and go, eh, this is pretty generic. And so, I thought maybe I was either gifted this special cover, or maybe I accidentally ordered the wrong one, which I will admit has happened a time or two. Uh, 
DCBS's ordering process has become more and more labyrinthine with all these uh, variants and incentives and reprints. It's it can be pretty insane some months, and I mean these are you know caviar problems I guess to complain about how I order my comic books, but. It could be a pain in the ass <laughs> And sometimes I wind up with two of the same book Because I accidentally ordered a, a variant Instead of the other issue of the book that came out that month uh, This was a huge problem back when uh, DC launched with Rebirth Because so many of those books were twice monthly So you just, uh, uh, it was a gamble And you just had to read it very, very carefully and closely To make sure you were getting exactly what you wanted so I, you know, popped online to see what the actual cover of this issue looked like And I was uh, pretty surprised and pretty disappointed to learn that this is the actual cover uh, I've commented on lazy covers before, but holy smokes I mean, does anything scream afterthought more than a cover like this? I mean, it's a fine piece of art, but for a cover on your supposed flagship book? Come on, I mean, if Marvel ain't gonna treat this like it's important, why should we? Heck, you know, maybe, in fairness to uh, to the creators here, uh, maybe they just didn't want to scare us off with the Shi'ar crap that we're gonna be getting inside here. It's like, ooh, you never know what's gonna be in this book, and uh, when you open it, it's the Shi'ar. All right, all right, let's, let's crack it open and get on into it. Now we open with a bunch of space stuff. Generic aliens and scrolls, uh, while a narration waxes poetic over intergalactic conflict. This is all to get to the point where we learn that the Shi'ar Majestrix in waiting, Xandra, has been kidnapped. And so Deathbird makes a uh, urgent distress call to X Factor, circa 1989. Okay, not really, but uh, if the costuming is to be believed, uh, we are in a bygone era. Cyclops, Jean, and Storm answer this distress call, and as alluded to, Jean and Scott are, for some reason, in their old X-Factor togs. Storm is in her current year outfit. Deathbird informs our heroes that her paramour promised that they'd help out. And I'm guessing that's a reference to Sunspot, who had the hot pants for the Bird Lady during the Hickman New Mutants arc, so we're continuing that. Double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. Gladiator, ugh. Deathbird, ugh. Oracle, ugh. Xandra, ugh. Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm, Sunspot, Cannonball, Smasher, ugh. An hour later, the trio arrive on Chandelar and via the Krakoan Gateway. They are greeted by Smasher, who is impressed by their quick commute. Info page. Looks like uh, the transcription of a chat between Sam and Roberto... I think this is supposed to be funny, but we know how this usually goes. The heroes, can we just call them the X-Men yet, are escorted to the Imperial Palace, where they're introduced to the seriously vetted members of the staff. Now, these are all the folks who were on call on the night of the abduction, and Jean is invited to psychically scan them, and so she does. It doesn't take her long to deduce who the snake in the grass is, and it's one of the servants. Storm and Cyclops blast her at the same time, and aren't sure which one's shot actually took her down. I think this is supposed to be funny as well, but, you know. The servant's disguise fades, revealing her to be a Stygian. A what now? Another generic and interchangeable Marvel alien, you say? Color me intrigued. 
Now, Deathbird seems to think that this all makes too much sense. And uh, she's far more interested in any of this than I am. Scene shift to the catacombs of Chandelar. Now, here we meet the Big Bad, who looks like a mix between a generic Hickman antler-headed alien and Deathlock. His name is Ur, and the gimmick here is that he's annoyed that the Stygians have been used and abused by the Shi'ar, and so kidnapping their Majestrix and waiting is how they start to even the score. Or something like that. Anywho, he makes a long speech in Xandra's direction. To which, Xandra calls Ur a monster. To which, he responds that he's only what the Shi'ar and the universe made him to be. <sighs> the stakes couldn't possibly be higher, could they? Uh, the X-Men and Smasher head into the catacombs to perform the royal rescue. In perhaps the only interesting part of this entire issue, Jean Grey raises a very good point. Now, that point is that the Stygians have been treated as a lesser class than the Shi'ar, like as literal servants, cleaning up after them, washing their clothes, preparing their food. And on top of that, there's been a recent financial collapse, which only underscores uh, that uh, these poor Stygians are in eternal servitude. Now, Gene posits that this uprising was likely a long time coming. Smasher then bedupes a button on her costume, which will apparently ensure that the Empress doesn't get killed. I gotta ask, if Smasher is this awesome, then why are we involved in the Krakoans here? I mean, aren't there some anti-mutant extremists for them to fight or something? Do, they, do we really need to be in space? Um, well, back to Ur. He allows Xandra to speak, and boy does she. It's boilerplate, you're evil sort of stuff, just stretched out into like a hundred or so words. Ur tires of this and raises his big ol' hammer. What is it with generic Marvel aliens all carrying hammers? Isn't that like the least effective sort of weapon to bring into battle, especially like intergalactic battle? I do suppose there's a measure of ceremony in it, but, you know, still very ineffective. Anyway, the heroes arrive, and they fight. Cyclops gets winged by the hammer, which, okay, maybe I underestimated it because old Scott is KO'd. Smasher rushes over to Xandra before beduping that button again. Now, beduping that button sends a call to Sam, who, uh, and she asks him to, quote, send them in. Unfortunately for her, eh, she actually gets Sunspot on the line. Comedy, in quotes, ensues. Now, he's currently on the vid phone with the money dudes, and he's exchanging some Earth money for some space currency so he can take advantage of something financial. Again, I, I think this was supposed to be funny, and Hickman's, uh, you know, not. Sam finally gets on the line where he's instructed to, quote, do the thing. And so he removes a book from the bookshelf and boops a button on it. Before we know it, a dozen or so Smashers bash into the catacombs. And again, I gotta ask, if Smasher is this awesome, and clearly we're meant to think that she is, why are we wasting the X-Men's time with this? I mean, outside of Jean scanning the servants, which Oracle could have done, they were completely unnecessary, and only got in the way of Smasher's overwhelming awesomeness. <sighs> well, actually, Storm just happens to be in the right position to save the Majestrix in waiting's life, so there's that. Uh, she also takes out Ur, which, you know... Alright, so, so why do we even bother with the Smasher Legion, then? They didn't do anything. Alright, whatever, whatever. We jump ahead to later, and we're in the throne room. Xandra is sat upon her throne. 
we learn that she decided to make Ur a diplomat to the Stygian throne. This is supposed to be like a good faith measure, though Xander explains that it's kind of a fate worse than death. So, uh, which is it then? Deathbird reveals that Bobby's money moving from earlier will be used toward making life better for the Stygians. Not quite sure how, but so long as we don't have to actually read about it, I'm cool with it. Xandra then thanks Storm for the save. She says she's in Storm's debt, and Aurora is welcome to collect on it at any time. I'm guessing this will be revisited, hopefully in a single panel of a more Earth-based X-Men adventure. We close out the issue with the X-Men election poster with the ten candidates to be the final member of the first X-Men team of the Krakoan era. We've already talked about this, but as a refresher, the uh, candidates are... Banshee, Polaris, Cannonball, Sunspot, Forge, Strong Guy, Boom Boom, Tempo, Marrow, and Armor. And that's where we end it. Next episode, we go back to the Boneyard. Thank goodness. But let's talk about this. Um, you, ever, you ever see like those record albums, you know, that are uh, that probably horribly dated me here, but uh, albums, music albums here, and they, you know, they they're all killer, no filler. What's the opposite of that? Oh yeah, this issue, and, uh, well, this volume of X-Men, unfortunately. Let me try and sidestep my general disdain for stories of this type and just talk about the main takeaway. Now, it's a multifaceted question here. It's actually several questions. Are the Shi'ar the good guys or the bad guys here? Are the Stygians bad guys or victims of circumstance here? Are the Stygians justified in attempting to declare their independence from Shi'ar rule? Huh. As mentioned during the synopsis, Jean raised some great points after her psi scan. The Stygians have been long subjugated by the Shi'ar. They're fed up, and they see this lapse or stutter step in Shi'ar leadership as their opportunity to finally make their own way in the galaxy. Now, they might have went about it in a most extreme way, right? Which you really can't, uh... I mean, that's it was dumb. Because let's face it, it doesn't, it doesn't really help your cause when you look evil in comparison to the bird people. But are they really the villains here? I'm not so sure that they are. So, we've got the X-Men and Smasher helping a dictatorship to keep members of, for a lack of a better term, a lower class... Under subjugation Not a great look for uh, for our heroes, is it? Now part of me wonders If, uh, like, is this something we're supposed to be relating To our current, like, Krakoa situation here Where it's more important to maintain order And keep everyone on the same page Than to risk the status quo by giving everybody a voice If that's the way they're going I can kind of get behind the concept of it Um... I don't know that we needed an entire issue to really uh, stress that point, but I suppose somebody thought we did. Um, uh, the rest of the story felt unnecessary. Uh, the X-Men weren't needed here. There's really no reason why Deathbird should have called them in. Uh, as mentioned during the synopsis, Oracle could have mind-scanned the servants, and the fact that she didn't, I mean, that's her whole thing. Why, why wouldn't she do like her only talent? Very, very weird. Um, then we got the Smashers, or I mean, hell, even Gladiator, who was on the roll call page, despite not being a part of the story. They could have rescued Xander from Ur. It's it's not like dude went far. He was still on Chandelar. I mean, uh, 
Uh, this feels like it was all an exercise in getting Storm a favor from the Shi'ar throne. That's what I'm thinking about here. Feels like there may have been a better way to get there, but uh, I guess at the end of the day, I'm not the one cashing Disney checks, so what do I know? Seeing Brett Booth on the art was pretty fun. It's been a while since I've seen him on a Marvel book. Uh, he is almost, you know, definitely a fella I associate more with DC Comics. I think Brett Booth did some um, X-Men Unlimited art, I want to say, back in, back in way in the long ago. And I know he's on the first arc of X-Men Legends as well, which I feel is a great fit because his work has a lot of the, the 90s flair without a whole lot of 90s excess. You know, it's like all the good stuff and none of the uh, not-so-good stuff. Um, that said... As much as I love seeing him on art here, uh, his involvement does feed into the idea that this was a filler issue. But I guess that's just uh, the way things go with the uh, the flagship book of the line, and it looks like it probably will be until at least June or July after the Hellfire Gala. But uh, overall, this is an issue that raised a few good points. Um, I don't know if it did it as effectively as it could have, and uh, felt like we were really just uh, treading water here. We're killing time till the Hellfire Gala, and it is, uh, I don't know that it's doing anybody any good, but that's all I got to say about X-Men number uh, 17. Whatever issue this was. That one. <laughs> that's all I got to say about it. If you agree or disagree, please feel free to let me know. Speaking of which, let's hop into the mailbag here, because we actually got a letter today. It's from our friend Evan, and he's talking about Excalibur number 16. He says, I read Excalibur number 16 and Generation X Volume 2 number 3 back-to-back, and I was struck by the fact that Shogo has gotten smaller. Okay, that had nothing to do with the stories, but unlike many comic kiddos, he appears to have been de-aged. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess that might be one thing that he took after uh, his mother is... Uh, Adopted mother, because I remember when Jubilee was moved into Generation X, she was uh, de-aged quite a bit. Uh, she was drawn as being like more of a young adult when she was in uh, the X-Men books, the flagship books. And when you moved her over to Generation X, she was a she was a kid. So maybe maybe that's where Shogo gets it, or maybe it's just a lack of attention to detail, which is probably more the case. Uh, Evan continues. I did eventually feel like I'd missed an issue of Exc- in Excalibur because the last time I remember seeing Brian's Bride, a.k.a. the magnificent mystical mutant Megan, she was hanging out on Krakoa. Not sure when she got a job in King Jamie the Weird's court, or maybe that was a detail I just missed. Well, if you missed it, my friend, so did I. Because, uh, yeah, that was kind of out of nowhere. I, you know, I didn't even know about their Valeria Richards daughter, you know, uh, who's... The smartest whatever in the room I That was all news to me as well I guess that probably happened while I was away I think, actually, you know I think it did happen during the Oh boy, oh boy The Excalibur anniversary Issue of Either X-Men Blue or X-Men Gold It was an annual And it was, uh, the cover was An homage to Excalibur number one Where like they're all kind of on the tip of that building And stuff I want to say the, uh, the super smart daughter was born there But I might be mistaken I Don't don't take my word for it <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's weird seeing her in Avalon Maybe that's something that occurred uh, when Brian became Captain Avalon um, We're not getting all, the, all of the uh, details on that sort of thing So I guess they just uh, 
maybe they figured that we would just put those pieces together in our in our minds here like like those uh you know vision exercises where they give you like parts of words and like your brain fills in the rest maybe that's what we're supposed to be doing here which is very very good storytelling i might add uh, Evan continues, I liked the issue because this excursion into Otherworld made more sense than any of the others. I knew why they were here and what they were trying to accomplish. It even shed some light on what Apocalypse hoped to accomplish with the team, more than I gleaned from the first 15 issues anyway. And uh, you have a point there. You have a point there. But, um, and it's funny because I hadn't thought about Excalibur number 16 in quite a while, and we recently did an episode on Excalibur number 17, which references none of it. <laughs> they're not in Otherworld. Uh, they're not with Megan anymore. They're just back on Krakoa packing up to move into the uh, lighthouse. How bizarre. Uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, we're missing issues of Excalibur. I'm, I'm sure of it. Maybe Excalibur is one of the few books that still does a point one program, and we're just like not getting the point one issues. Maybe the point one issues are appearing on another Earth or something, because... Uh, yeah, there, there be holes in this story. Now, Evan wraps up with, It was nice to see Rogue taking charge. Maybe she could take a seat at the Quiet Council and give the Magic Explorers, or whatever it is Excalibur's doing, a literal seat at the table. And you know, it's funny you say that, because uh, just, a, I think it was last episode, when I was, you know, doing some uh, thinking out loud about who might take uh, one of the Seats in the Nightcrawler, Storm, and Jean quarter of the Quiet Council. I was like, eh, it couldn't be Rogue. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe it could be Rogue. Maybe it could be Rogue here. And I think, I mean, those stories kind of just write themselves there. You got Rogue, you got Nightcrawler, you got Mystique, all part of the Quiet Council. That could lead to some very interesting things here, especially with the uh, with the Destiny rub. So that's, uh, that's something that I, I think I might want to see. But, uh... Thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts there and for pointing out the inconsistencies in uh, in Shogo's size because, uh, yeah, yeah, Shogo got smaller as he uh, grew older here. Now, this is usually where we leave it, but since it is the first of the month, uh, the first of April, how about we look at the solicits for the book shipping in May? Here, give us a whole month to plan our shopping lists and our shopping trips and... Uh, all that jazz here. Now, these solicits come to us from Marvel Free Previews number 9. These are This is the March issue for May 2021 shipping. The covers are Heroes Reborn. I guess we're doing that again. And the back cover is Star Wars, War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha. And I don't care about any of that. Um, we open this sucker up, and the first thing we see that's X-related is, uh, well, sort of tangential. It's Heroes Reborn, Magneto and the Mutant Force Number 1 by Steve Orlando and Bernard Chang. Oof, when did Steve Orlando come over from D.C.? That's a fellow who never filled a word balloon with words that actual humans would ever utter. Anyway, um, I don't think this was, has anything to do with our current Krakoan-era X-Books. And it's uh, pitting this team against the Borfest, known as the Squadron Supreme. So you'll all have to let me know if this one's relevant before I drop five bucks on it for the show. Uh, keeping it with Heroes Reborn, we got a couple more. Heroes Reborn Siege Society number one. And I only mention that one because it features Sabretooth on the cover, so I can only hope that this isn't affecting the current day stuff. 
Though it wouldn't surprise me if the non-ex-Marvel bullpen were unaware that Victor's currently in the hole. We got Heroes Reborn, Hyperion, and the Imperial Guard number one. Ugh, that's about the Shi'ar. And it also mentions that there's going to be a Starjammers spin-off series. <sighs> Again, you're, you're going to have to let me know if this won't be affecting our current X status quo. Let's get into our actual books here. Um, we've got X Corp number one of five. This is by Teeny Howard and Alberto Fochi. Fochi? I don't know. Uh, the blurb reads, The deals have been made. Mutant kind is safe on Krakoa. As the reign of X continues, what are the wants of the mutants who have everything? Leading the charge is the X Corporation, headed by CXO, oh, CXOs, Monet St. Croix and Warren Worthington, a duo as cutthroat and ruthless in the boardroom as they are on the battlefield. But X Corp needs more than just its figureheads, as Monet sets out to staff her team with some of the brightest and most deviant minds in mutant kind, Warren finds himself in a tense meeting with one of Krakoa's first allies who wants to know the truth. On Angel's Wings, will X-Corp crash or soar? I almost feel like this was the perfect blurb to read on April Fool's Day. Because, I mean, they gotta be pranking us with this one. Um, I don't know who's asking for this, but uh, we'll cover it. We'll cover it. Next, X-Men Curse of the Man-Thing number one by Steve Orlando again and Andrea Brocardo. Now, this would be the third of three Curse of the Man-Thing one-shots. Now, since it does involve the Krakoan era, we will be covering it on the show. It's a $5 book because of course it is. The blurb goes something like this. Years ago, Dr. Ted Salas was ready to give up everything to crack the SO2 serum and deliver success to his growing family. I'm guessing Steve Orlando probably wrote this blurb. Um, unbeknownst to the rest of the world, he did. Today, as cities spanning from the U.S. to Krakoa are besieged by fear-driven blazes, the man-thing must reckon with his past deeds if he hopes to emerge renewed and rescue a world on fire. But fighting from his lowest means man-thing can rise to his highest, especially with the unexpected help of the X-Men's resident sorceress Magic and her debuting team of monstrous mutants known as the Dark Riders. Please don't give us a Dark Riders book. Please? Who am I kidding? Of course they will. Um, from looking at this cover, this team of Dark Riders, and if you don't know what the Dark Riders are, they were a group of uh, goofballs who Apocalypse was rolling with around the time of the Executioner's Song. It had... Uh, Characters like Gauntlet in it And uh, Gauntlet is one that always stands out to me Because I remember reading in Wizard Magazine That they made a Gauntlet action figure But I could never find it I could never see even an image of it And I, it's actually one of the first emails I ever sent to Garib Seamus Asking if he knew of the Gauntlet action figure And he said that uh, you know They just print what Marvel told them to print So whether or not there's a Gauntlet action figure, I couldn't tell you. I don't think there was, but uh, there was a price listed for it in Wizard for a little while. Now, the team, the Dark Riders, is Magic, Mammomax. You all remember Mammomax? The one who looks like an elephant? Forearm, Shork Shark Girl, Wolf Cub, and a woman with red hair, who I can't, uh, I can't pick out right now. Next up, Way of X number two. 
Simon Spurrier and Bob Quinn, $4. A dark force hiding within Krakoa begins to show its true form. The answers are hidden within the mindscape. Kurtz and others. One of the most dangerous mutants is reborn. There you go. Short and sweet. And I'm interested. You don't got to be all flowery and talk about worlds on fire and stuff like that. Just give us what we need to know. And I mean, there there is a, a sweet spot for these. Because we're going to get to some that are like a line that would never entice a curious person. Or would never entice a person to be curious. So uh, I think this is a good blurb here. It's a... It's an interesting concept, and I'm looking forward to it. New Mutants, number 18. Vida Ayala and Rod Reese, $4. The New Mutants' path seems simple. Train, guide, and mentor the youth. Sure, they didn't ask for the job, but they've been figuring it out together, right? How wrong could it go? The New Mutants are about to find out. That's a disappointing blurb for one of the better X-Books Marvel's putting out right now. Why would anybody check this out with such a boilerplate blurb? Total missed opportunity because that blurb could be used for just about every issue post X of Tens. It's they're training people, and it's going kind of sideways. I'm not convinced that they haven't used this one before. Very, very generic. Speaking of which, Cable, number 11 of 12. Jerry Duggan and Phil Noto, $4. The blurb goes something like this. Some summers seem like they'll never end, and some end too soon. Yeah, they've completely checked out on this one. I don't know why they devoted an entire page to it when they're not actually doing anything to entice anybody to pick the damn thing up. Uh, next up, Marauders number 20. Jerry Duggan, Stefano Caselli, $4. As the preparations for the Hellfire Gala come to a head, Aurora's eyes are pointed to the future. A future that takes her off the seas and over the horizon. Now, the cover here is pretty cool. It's got Storm looking to the horizon, and overhead we see some, you know, classic looks of our characters here. We got Kitty in her Shadowcat getup, Nightcrawler in his basic togs, and Storm with her mohawk. Thankfully, Kitty doesn't look disturbed or scared of it. And I'm guessing that this is where Storm finally takes her powder from the X-Books, which she you know, said she was going to be doing in the issue of Marauders we covered uh, not too long ago. Not sure where she's headed, but uh, we'll more than likely be talking about it here down the line. Children of the Atom number three. Vida Ayala, Bernard Chang, $4. Origin revealed. Who are the X-Men sidekicks behind the masks? Meanwhile, a brand new alternative medicine is changing lives at school. But who's recruiting the victims? I mean, patients. Now, I really can't comment on Children of the Atom yet. I, I don't have the foggiest idea what they're all about. Um, we'll definitely be discussing this one. I just hope the mystery of their origin is worth the three issues weight and expenditure. Because that's $13 into this series. Actually, $18 if we're counting their one-panel cameo in Marvel's Voices number 1, which I bought for that very uh, one panel. And we'll be talking about it here uh, not too long from now. Um, next up, Hellions number 11. Zeb Wells, Steven Segovia, $4. <sighs> Psylocke versus Betsy Braddock in a 30-year-long battle. Come on. Really? Empath's misdeeds come back to haunt him, and Mr. Sinister's teeth hurt. What is going on here? Now, the cover has two flavors of Quanon in battle. 
with uh, varying shades of purple in their hair. Uh, they're both in the Psylocke costume, is what I'm trying to say. The lighter-haired one, which I'd take to be Betsy, has uh, those metal clockwork orange bits on her face, like keeping her eyes open. I mean, I wonder if that uh, 30-year-long battle is kind of tongue-in-cheek or a, or a meta-reference here, because it feels like we've been dealing with this for 30 years, doesn't it? Well, if anybody can make me care about yet another go-around with Quanon and Betsy, it's Zeb Wells. So, fingers crossed. Next, Wolverine number 12. Ben Percy Scott Eaton, $4. It's another Eaton issue, so maybe he's going to be a mainstay on this book now. The blurb goes something like this. A last-ditch effort will, will, will put Wolverine and Louise within fanging distance of Dracula. And a betrayal that will tear through the X-Books. So, more vampire stuff. Next, X-Factor number 9. Leo Williams, David Baldion, $4. Best concert ever. The Morrigan needs to be destroyed. The answer lies in the Mojoverse. Looks like we're getting the band back together. Gotta say, I hate every word in that blurb. I will reserve judgment, though, because I have been enjoying that book more than I ever thought I would. But, uh, yeah. Uh, worth noting, there's actually a page dedicated to X-Factor number 8 here as well, which they neglected to include in last month's Marvel previews. So, what are you going to do? Let's look at it. X-Factor number 8. Leo Williams, David Baldion, $4. Hey, guys, wasn't expecting to see X-Factor torpedo up the Resurrection queue priority. The Boneyard's Haunted. What? Resurrecting Mutant Teammates. Boneyard's Haunted. Like I said, I'm enjoying this book. But holy smokes, are these blurbs a cringe fest. Um, who in the hell are they trying to attract with these blurbs? I mean, people who don't spend money on comics, I'm guessing. Because, ooh, cringe. Um, oh boy. X-Men number 20. Jonathan Hickman with Artist to be announced <laughs> Uh-oh uh, $4 The blurb says System online processing And the cover is Nimrod Hmm Okay, well I would say That I'd be looking forward to that Unfortunately I, If I were a betting man Which I'm not, but if I were I'd say it's probably just going to be a one-shot issue, probably featuring the boring-ass Orcus satellite goofs, because, I mean, the issue after this is going to be dedicated to the Hellfire Gala, so we can't stick around with it long. Now, just like with X-Factor, we do get a page for X-Men number 19, the, the issue before this, which was left out of last month's Marvel previews. Just how last-minute are these things? I mean, we have artists to be announced, books just being left off? I don't know. Okay, X-Men 19. Hickman and Mahmoud Azrar, $4. And it's uh, the Children of the Vault stuff here. I think we're getting two issues of that uh, in the interim here. Uh, next, X-Men Legends number 4. By the Simonsons, $4. Things go from bad to worse for X-Factor when they must save the baby, Nathan Christopher Summers, from the clutches of a deadly robot attacker. But who is really at the helm, and what will this mean for the future of the team and the Summers clan? I'm sorry, I gotta ask, who, who's asking for this? I love the Simonson's time on X-Factor. I, you know, I want to get that out here, but... Uh, oof, why? Um, 
And I feel like these type of stories were the reason that Marvel started that point one initiative, you know? Actually, it's not... (laughs) It's not the reason why Marvel did that. They did that so they could put more than one book out a month. But one of the byproducts of the Point One initiative, I think, is fitting these stories in between issues here. Because we see, you know, instead of doing X-Men Legends, just Point One these stories into continuity. Because that's like the whole gist here, you know? These are stories that are in continuity. And uh, we do get a little uh, box here that says that this story in X-Men Legends would be slotted before X-Factor number 43. So, why not just make them X-Factor 42.1 and X-Factor 42.2? You'd probably sell more copies that way, I think. Oh well. Okay, here's one that we might be covering. I can't tell you much about it. It's Runaways number 36. Rainbow Rowell and Andres Genale, $4.00. I can't say if this is going to tie into anything for Cohen because the blurb reads simply, There is nothing we can tell you about this issue that wouldn't spoil what is possibly the best comic of 2021. We can't even show you the cover. Is this the smartest way to promote a book that five people are even aware exists? I mean, I think when I bought those issues with Wolverine and Pixie in it, I like doubled the sales of this thing. I don't know. We'll wait and see. If it's something we got to cover, we will. Now, also in this Marvel previews for the trade waiters and shelf stuffers, we've got the X-Men Inferno Prologue Omnibus. That's 824 pages for 100 bucks. It collects X-Factor issues 27 through 32 and annual number 3, Uncanny X-Men 228 to 238 plus annual 12, New Mutants 62 to 70 plus annual 4, Marvel Age Annual 4, and Marvel Fanfare number 40. For completionist's sake, we have Avengers by Jason Aaron, Volume 8, Enter the Phoenix. Now, this is 168 pages at 20 bucks, collects Avengers 39 through 45, and uh, if you're a Phoenix uh, fanatic or completionist, you'll probably want that. We've got Dawn of X, Volume 16, 176 pages for $17.99, this one collects Giant Size X-Men Storm number 1, X-Force 1112, Excalibur 1112, and X-Men number 12. So kind of clearing the deck before X-10 starts with this uh, volume. We've got the Generation X Epic Collection Volume 1 Back to School. This one's 480 pages for 40 bucks. It collects Uncanny X-Men 316, 317, 318, X-Men Volume 2, 36-37, Generation X, Issues 1 through 9, Wolverine Number 94, Generation X Collector's Preview, and the Generation X Ashcan Edition. 40 bucks for that? Not, not too shabby. Not too shabby. And that's that. It's uh, worth noting that there are no solicits listed for Excalibur or X-Force. Though, as we found out today, that really doesn't mean anything. Marvel might just be out to lunch on those books for the moment. So, if you're planning your trips to the comic shop, on May 5th, Children of the Atom number 3, Hellions number 11, Marauders number 20, and X-Men Curse of the Man-Thing number 1, that's a $17 week. May 12th, X-Corp number 1, X-Factor number 9, X-Men number 20, 
That's a $13 week, unless the Hyperion Shi'ar book gets involved with our coverage, and if that's the case, it's an $18 week. May 19th, Way of X number 2 and Wolverine number 12, so relatively speaking, an inexpensive week here. Unless Runaways and Heroes Reborn Magneto and the Mutant Force has any bearing on our purview, in which case you're up to another $17 week. May 26th, we've got Cable 11, New Mutants number 18, and X-Men Legends number 4. So, that's a $12 week, unless Siege Society actually features our Sabretooth getting out of the hole. And then we're back up to $17. So, at the very least, those ex-completionists among us will be spending 50 bucks, And at most, we're looking at $69 for the month of May. And I mean that's just the Xbooks. And it's a, it's a you know an old joke, but drugs might be cheaper. <laughs> These books are damn expensive. No wonder so many people are using Marvel Unlimited. I mean I can't blame any of you. And if I were able to do digital, I'd be right there beside you. But uh, well, that's going to do it for this month's look at the solicits for next month. And uh, you know in a month's time, we'll take a look at the June books, which will be very very. Heavily Hellfire Galerific, if uh, all the news is to be believed. But uh, that'll do it for today's episode here. If you'd like to write in and be part of the mailbag or just say hello, please feel free to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. For blog posts and show notes, plus X-Lapsed Origins, you can pop over to chrisisoninfinitearths.com. We've also got xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com for just the uh, xlap stuff. You can chat us up on Facebook. We're having some pretty fun conversations. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And for all your comics commentary listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available on all your noise aggregation devices and applications. And uh, that'll do it for today's episode here. I want to thank you all so much for allowing me to be part of your day-to-day. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. No more